0: Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends,
1: and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons.
2: Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game.
1: Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore,
3: Golf Pride, 2Under, Zexio. Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic
1: Gloves, and the Macklemore Club, Experience Life Above
2: the Clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and welcome to Ryder Cup week. And what an exciting week it's going to be. There's been so much talk, and we're going to do more of it tonight. But about 36 hours from now, they're going to be putting pegs in the ground and play is going to begin. Should be a tremendous set of matches. A lot of negative talk about this U.S. team. Can they play as a team? Do they even like each other? We're going to find out, and I can't wait to see how this thing all unfolds. Either which way, folks, Thank you so much for coming back and being a part of the show tonight. I also want to thank you for voting the show up to number 11 in the September edition of the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list. You've moved us up steadily over the last six months from number 44 to that number 11 position. So we're right on the cusp of breaking into the top 10. Please continue to vote by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. I really appreciate your support. Okay, on to tonight's show. And I've got four great guests that I'm excited to share with you. First up is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tonight, TP and I, we're going to discuss the Tour Championship. We'll go back a little bit, review that, and Patrick Cantlay's big win there. We'll hear if Steve Stricker's captain's picks match up to who Captain Patrick would have selected for the team. I'll also get his reaction to Brooks Kepka's comments that he made in Golf Magazine and an interview that he did for them which I found very disappointing, but very candid from him. It's regarding the Ryder Cup and being a part of that team, which he says disrupts his routine. Perhaps maybe he should just stay home. We'll get TP's reaction from that, plus some playing lessons as well, when he joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from LPGA legend Jane Blaylock. Jane joined me a few weeks ago and was so much fun, I couldn't wait to get her back on the show. I want to get her thoughts on the Solheim and Ryder Cups as well. We'll talk about her international victories at the World Ladies Championship over in Japan. We'll also talk about how she lobbied for a women's master's event, what happened there, what life was like for her off the course during her time playing on the LPGA Tour, and how much a part of the fabric that her family is up in the state of New Hampshire. Looking forward to having Jane back on the show. She'll join me about 20 minutes from now. Following her, I'll be joined by another one of the top 100 instructors in our game, Nancy Corsolino. I'll get Nancy's thoughts on the cup matches as well. That's going to be the theme for tonight. I'm sure you picked up on that. Plus, how different our mental approach needs to be when we play match play versus metal play. How can we do a better job staying focused when we're out there playing on the golf course? Plus, tips for how to gain distance from your driver and hit chip shots that spin and stop by the hole. Looking forward to having Nancy back as part of the show. She'll join me later on in the hour. Then we're going to round out tonight's show with a visit from SwingU CEO Charles Cox. Folks, if you're not familiar with the SwingU app, go out there and download it. You can download it for free. Their app does it all, folks. It gives you GPS distances on every course out there. Plus, you can track your shots, game data, your scores, your handicap, plus you can get video playing lessons and a whole lot more. Really looking forward to hearing all about it when Charles joins me about an hour from now. So there you have it, folks, more great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the McLemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I, we were up there for our annual golf trip, and it was simply amazing. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility that they have up there is fantastic. Their on-premise restaurant, which is called The Craig, has outstanding food and service. And the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it. I can't say enough great things about the McLemore. Folks, go online to themaclemore.com to see how spectacular the place is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And our friend and PGA Tour caddy, Kip Henley, said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why we're all saying how great it is by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. And, folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends at TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw, check. Low fade, check. Bump and run out of the sander flop shot, check, check, and check. No matter what shot you've got to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With their newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit the ball high over the trees, under, or maybe even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back at Next on the Tee with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. For everyone up in Virginia, West Virginia, or the Washington, D.C. areas, go see Tom at Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia, and become the next student that Tom coaches up to a championship level. If you can't go see Tom in person, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing through that app. He can help get you dialed in. Please check out his website, tompatry.com, and give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his new YouTube channel, where you can check out nearly 200 free playing lessons and videos that he's got available for you on there. As you guys know, Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, and it's always great having him as
1: part of the show.
2: T.P., how are you, my friend?
1: Pretty boy!
2: <laughs> T.P., how are you, my friend? It's been almost a month since the last time you were on this show, which I think is coincidental to the last time your New York Yankees won a baseball game. How's it been going for you, my friend?
1: Sorry, I couldn't hear you. What did you
2: that? <laughs> There's that selective hearing again. How are
1: you, Tom? Yeah, so, just you know, we're coming down the stretch here, and you, you could get hurt. I could get hurt, but it's not over yet, man. So just be just be careful. You know, you might get stung. Right? You know, what is stung? <laughs> <laughs> i understand. nothing's over until it's
2: over. You guys, you okay, guys taught the world the that when we uh, came back from three games to none down in 2004, nothing is over until
1: it's over. End, end. If something happens to right and you get stung. You will be getting a phone call. You know that. Okay, <laughs> just a <pen. laughs> uh, couple of things, couple, couple quick ones. Congratulations on the uh, on the number eleven spot from 44 to 11. how awesome is that? Now, really, seriously.
2: Now. Absolutely. Thanks to all the listeners and all the supporters out there. I mean, they they made it happen, not me. So I appreciate it very much.
1: That's incredible. I'm so happy for that. It's so awesome. And we just cracked that. Let's make sure we crack that top 10 to everybody. Make make sure you vote this story in. And then you you might as well stop telling people to come see me at at Farmington because I'm under a moat now and I'm out of here. So it's it's time to head south, man. I'm getting chilly. I'm old. I need warm weather. (laughs) (laughs) The <laughs> <south or somewhere. laughs> yeah. Tell them where they let's can find
2: you that. down south. Well,
1: you can get into that. Everybody knows. You know where I am. You know, I'll just, just just, do whatever. <laughs> let's talk about, All right. Let's talk about, let's talk about you because you like to talk about you. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about the Tour
2: Championship, Tom. I want to start off by getting your uh, thoughts. I want to go back a little bit and get your thoughts on the Tour Championship and what we saw from Patrick Cantlay's big victory there. and. And, um, I don't know. Should we call that a win? Because, I mean, if it were a regular tournament, we know John Rahm and Kevin Na would have actually finished in a tie and gone to a playoff. But thanks to that dagger thing they do, uh, can't, can't lay really gets the win. Your thoughts on what you saw at the tour championship? So I, I have
1: very mixed emotions about that. But I, I, the staggered thing is just. It's just staggering to me. It just it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. I don't understand the premise. I don't understand why they did. I don't want, I want to know what knucklehead sat in the room and came up with that and convinced everybody to go, yeah, that was a great idea. I think that's a good idea. I wanted to be in that room and they said that. So that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But that's nothing to do with golf. But so that being said, that Sunday back and forth on that back line between those two guys was, I mean, I don't get to watch the tournament golf so much on Sundays, and I got to watch that. And I, I was so entertained and so into that back nine. So many great shots hit back and forth. You know, Kelly, you know, it, you know, listen, you're in a situation now. Get the of start. He hit some incredible shots, makes an incredible clutch, clutch. I think he kind of wore Bryson out right with some of the putts he made actually warmed down. But it, it was fun to watch. It was exciting. It was really exciting.
2: And Tom, I know we've talked about this a few times leading into the tour championship, like who is the player of the year? Uh, who had the best season of all? And we talked about it being perhaps between Colin Morikawa and John Rahm. And, uh, we know what, what a great season Rahm had major championship. He, he had this year sort of, sort of uh, Morikawa, but Rahm with the top tens and all of them, including the players championship seemed like a guy in my mind. Was a shoe in to win the Player of the Year award. It ends up going to, to Cantley, who won three times plus the Tour Championship. But we, but one of those wins, one of those three, was the Memorial. And we know that John Rahm probably wins that golf tournament before COVID comes out, and uh, he tests positive to COVID and they they give him the result, And that six stroke lead he would have had going into the final round evaporates, and then Cantley goes on to get a win there. Uh, you, your thoughts? Cantley is he the, is he the Player of the Year? Or do you like Rahm or Morikawa?
1: I, I would have said toss up between Mom and Cantley. Um, and, and that's not, that's not throwing Colin under the bus because he had a wonderful year as well. Um, you know, it's funny. It becomes a little bit of a popularity contest with that, with the players vote. And so I think it's, uh, if, if it is a pop popularity contest, then, then, then you know who's more popular among the players. you know. So the personality comes into it sometimes. I think that you almost have to turn that into a point system thing um some kind and and take the uh and take the popularity part out of it. Um you know, I almost thought for a little while they were gonna they were gonna declare co co players of the year, you know, for the first time. Um it's a toss up, you know, it's a toss up. I you know, I mean obviously it always seems that the guy who does the dramatic thing at the end has the edge. Cantley obviously so got hot at the right time and was more in the uh in everybody's mind's eye, you know, when, when, when the voting was going on. So that, that probably gave an edge. I, I think the whole Memorial thing, and I'm not a John Rom fan particularly, but I think the whole Memorial thing was, was a really, you know, tough, tough pill to follow for anybody who cares about professional golf. Um, that was just a bad deal. I mean, it was just a, you know, it was the guy would not have no way the guy would have lost that golf tournament. No way in the world. He's too good of, too good of a front runner and too good of a pressure player. And you flip that tournament around and give it to lump instead of Cantley and everything's, and everything's different, right? It's completely different. So I think this one in my mind will go down with an asterisk next to it. You know, I'll never be able to really, uh, and I'm a Patrick Cantley fan. But I don't think he was, uh, I have to give the edge probably if you think about it and put all the chips on the table to run.
2: Tom, we're obviously in Ryder Cup week, and want to get your thoughts not only on the Ryder Cup, but the Solheim Cup as well. The European team continues to show its dominance against us. They win the Solheim Cup fifteen thirteen, thanks to getting off to a three and a half to a half lead in Saturday foursomes, which seems to be a format we're just not that good at. I mean, the singles matches were a wash. They they finished six and six in the final day. I mean, you, you extend this thing out to the to the junior whole high matches and we lose that one as well 13 to 11 because we get beat in the singles nine to three and here we are in the Ryder Cup should we expect a better outcome on the men's side or do the Europeans just know something that we clearly just can't figure out
1: well I, I think I think the, the, the simple answer is the Europeans like each other and, and a lot of our guys don't like each other you know I mean if a team <laughs> there has got to be some continuity in the locker room um you know, you, you got to be looking at the guy next to you, saying, "Man, I ho- hope he does well, and I hope you know, I hope he's pulling for me too." And I, I listen. I think it's pretty clear with the dynamics of the team that that's not the case in that locker room. I said this to you last time I was on. I think Steve Stricker is is, is almost I almost thought he's a sacrificial lamb. Now, I, I looked at the vice captains. I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, I mean, with Davis and, and Freddie there, were very very well. And Furyk, who's well liked and, and Phil, Phil's a whole other topic when we get into that. But those three guys are really, really well liked by the younger guys. Can they sit guys down in a corner and talk to them and, and can they, can they change the attitude mm-hmm. in a day and a half? I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, I look at that. I look at that whole Dustin Johnson book thing. No good. I look at the books and, and, and Shambo thing. No good. Um, I don't know who on this team actually likes the Chambo. Sham- the I think, I think the only thing that guy that kind of talks to is Scotty Shepard a little bit, like Um, but it's a tough dynamic. And on the other side of the pond, those guys in the European team love each other. I mean, they really do. They, they don't like each other a lot. So I, I think that's so important in team play, especially, you know, playing, you know, team matches, not single matches. That, that's an important part of the dynamic. and. I hope I'm wrong, Chris. I
2: hope I'm so wrong, but I don't have a great feeling. So let's expand on a couple of the things that you said. First of all, one of our mutual friends, Michelle Holmes, said out on Twitter that the difference is the European teams, to your point, have better team chemistry. They play many more matches and match play formats than we do. So a single player on the European team has played more match play and has more match play experience than perhaps the entire U S team does. So is, is that an issue? Is being comfortable in that format and the fact that maybe they play way more match play over in Europe than we play here in the U S. And then you lay sort of layer on top from a, from a men's perspective, we've got six Ryder Cup rookies on this team. Does that really play against us? A lack of experience in match play and then so many rookies on this team.
1: No, I don't think it does. I, I don't think at all. I think listen you, you know, if you can play golf, you can play golf in any format. I, and I don't think format changes your ability to play the game. You know, the thing that wins in match play is the lowest score in each hole. And as a professional, every time you see up on a golf ball, you're trying to make the lowest score possible on the hole. So and and listen, all these guys play matches in the offseason. They play for a lot of their own money. Um they played match play playing in junior golf, they played match play in club championships as kids. They, I, I don't think that's the issue. I think it just goes back to one thing. It goes back to team chemistry. It goes back to the guy next to you that you really care about and you're going to play your heart out for him or you're not. And, you know, there's, there's other personalities on this team also that are exactly personalities. You know, Daniel Berger is, is a little gruff at times. And there's a lot going on here. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of different Individuals on this team, you know, um, it's, it's, I, I think it's strictly a chemistry
2: issue. So speaking of individuals and caring, I want to get your thoughts on Brooks Kepka's, you know, Brooks Kepka. <laughs> he put some comments out there in a recent interview with Golf Magazine where he said, and I'm going to quote now, it's tough. There are times where I'm like, I won my match. I did my job. What do you want from me? I know how to take responsibility for the shots I hit every week. Now somebody else hits a bad shot and left me in a bad spot, and I know this hole is lost. That's new, and you have to change what you think about things. You go from an individual sport all the time to a team sport one week a year. It's so far from my normal routine. I can barely see my personal team. It's hard to even go to the gym. I, you know, He goes on to say it's, it's maybe it's not in my DNA, this team sports thing. I'm struggling, TP. When I when I read him talking about things like this, which seems to be and you alluded to this earlier, you know, sort of a me thing, and it's an I and it's not a team thing. And you know, you want me to get up and go to all these, you know, team meetings. You want me to break up my routine. I like to go back to the room and watch sports center and take a nap, but I can't do that. I got to go and be a part of a team meeting or whatever. Right? When I hear stuff like that, and I know Strick is going to say all the right things in a conference call or in his interviews because he has to. But if I hear this, Tom, my phone call to Brooks kept is, you know what? Stay home. I got four or five other guys that were on the cusp of making this team that are probably dying to be a part of this team. Sounds like you really don't care that much using what you said a minute ago, caring. I don't know. I have a hard time. One to have Brooks Kepka now as part of that team, knowing he's coming in and he's probably sour because he's got to get up at eight o'clock and come to this team meeting instead of going back to his room and, and taking a nap or watching Sports Center.
1: Know, what do you think? You yeah, know, Chris, we're, we're in complete agreement. Let's do a couple of things here. Let's go one thing. When is, when is not playing for your country an absolute honor? When, when is, when is playing for your country that does not enable you to put everything aside? For that one reason, if you're playing for your country. That's number one. Number two, let's 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 change one thing on Team USA. Let's interchange and take Steve Stricker out for a second, and put Arnold Palmer in that place. And those comments were made. How do you think that phone call would go between Arnold Palmer and Brooks Koepka? Mm. Not well. And and what what do you think Arnold would say to Brooks? Brooks, you know what? I'm going to make this decision for you we are going to say you just perched your wrist again, and you're out because I want you out. And I'm going to call Mr. So-and-so, and and he's going to play. So you have a nice time off, Brooks. Bye-bye. That would be the end of that. I mean, that would be the end of that. I mean, that Arnold would not even begin to be able to swallow those comments and and let him in there. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. You know, I tried so hard. I tried so hard. Because there's so many things I do like about this in the when he plays golf. I've tried so hard to like this Kepler. I can't. I, I can't like him. I just can't like him. It's just he makes it too hard. I mean, I love the way the guy plays the game. I don't like the guy. I just I can't like the guy. Anybody that doesn't want to is, it, is it busting down the door, busting down the door to play for your country. I want no part. It's hard.
2: So how does Captain Patrick put together pairings? For this kind of thing. And I'm not talking about, you know, would you put Brooks with this guy or would you put DJ with that guy? More just from a conceptually. Are you looking to pair guys together that play very similarly? You know, if I'm a straight driver of the golf ball, I put it in the fairway, I put it on the green, and I'm very sort of methodical, but I'm, you know, very accurate. Am I looking to pair two guys that are very similar that way? And then to guys like, you know, Whether it's Bryson or, uh, if Philly boy were happened to be on this, on this team, we know he's not, but a guy that drives it very crooked, but he's used to hitting out of every which lie that he could possibly end up with. And, and he's comfortable hitting from those places. Not like Brooks said here, Oh, that guy put me in a bad spot. Now I hate this guy. Um, are you looking for matching styles of game together? Are you looking for a long driver but a really good putter to put together? How do you decide who's putting in these pairings?
1: There were two great things I saw this week, two different interviews. One was a historical interview. I'll get to that in a second. And one was, did you did you see, Chris, the uh, Butch Harmon interview? I did not. Butch Harmon, uh, Claude Harmon interviewed his father, Butch. And he said, what would you do? He said, I'd put Brooks and Bryson out in the first match. I said, you know what, boys? Go figure it out. Have fun. Fine. He put it together in the first match of the first day. Mm. <laughs> Which I thought was bitches I thought, I thought Butch. I love that. And I thought, you know what? I'd probably do the same thing. Just put him out there and, you know, let them, let them torture each other to death. And get it <laughs> just, just get it over with. <laughs> and then I saw a great thing that Ben Hogan, quotes Ben Hogan to his team. Uh, it, was an actual, it was actually on record. He said, boys, I'm going to put the crooked guys together and the straight guys together because you guys know how to play those kind of games and I'll send you out there. And he said, you know, and he said, "And he said, Doug Sanders, if you want to dress like a peacock and you don't want to wear the uniform, don't wear the uniform. Be who you want to be. I thought it was really interesting that Hogan just let those guys do their thing. You know, he goes, you know how to play golf, go play golf. You know, he didn't overcoach anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if, if if you go, and
2: I'm sure you heard the rest of the story, right? The last thing you told them was, don't make my name be on the losing side on this trophy. Right. Right.
1: (laughs) Which which I love. That's all that matters, right? That's all that matters, right? At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Go win a point, you know? I think in 2021, (laughs) with analytics and stuff, we've gotten so, you know, just, so much over analysis about how do we care guys how do we put hey listen, guys, who who wants to play with who Let's just let's sit down who wants to play with who tell me who you want to play with, and that's who you're gonna play with. You know, that was always from, from my perspective, my understanding, and I I am I'm, I'm fucking a little off the record here. That was when I He <laughs> just said, him, you know, who do you guys want to play with? You know? Who are you comfortable with? And he kind of let him tell them who they wanted to play with. Why did you try to force a parent? You know, I mean, listen, Dustin Johnson doesn't want to play with Brooks. Brooks doesn't want to play Dustin Johnson. That's that's on the record. And, and Brooks certainly doesn't want to play with the Shambo. So those, those parents are out. Those are over, right? We know Justin Thomas and Steve love each other. You know, you know, let them bunk together and, and play together. Fine. And then the only guy that seems to talk to the, the Shambo is Scheffler. Is, is that sounds like a no-brainer right there. And then, then then go from there, you know. I mean, like personalities, probably Harris English and Colin Cowan. So I mean, you, you got to have guys that are comfortable with each other. That's that's I think that's the number one thing you have to look for.
2: Tom, one more before I let you go, and I got to get a playing lesson from you tonight. So when we have done what you were talking about a minute ago with some of these guys, we hit Wayward Shot. Find ourselves in the trees, got to hit a low punch shot to get ourselves out and either just back into play, or maybe we got a shot if we can hit this one low underneath this branch and it'll run up there on the green. How do we pull off that low punch shot?
1: Well, first of all, because, you know, I, I grew up on a really tree line, very tight golf course as a kid. Um, really tight, really, really tight golf course with a lot of trees on the golf course. So as a kid, you didn't know how to necessarily do it, but you kind of figured it out. So once I started playing a little bit better and got a little bit older and a little bit stronger, one of the things I would do is I'd go out there in the evening and I'd put myself in the tree somewhere, and I you know hit a hit a low shot with a little hook, I hit a low shot with a little cut around the tree, and you you know shot up high through some branches where there was an opening. I did it by you know, back then, not knowing that mechanically, I did it by visually seeing the shot before I hit it. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to be able to picture the shot you're trying to hit. You've got to have a, a visual of what you're really trying to do. But as far as the low shot concerned, you know, the most obvious things are you've got to take a lower lofted club than you would normally take. You've got to choke down the little club on the handle. And like Harvey Pentecost said, you know, high shot, high finish, low shot, low finish. You got to cut off the falter. You got to change your ball position a little bit and play it back. you um, you got to keep your lower body a little quieter, uh, so you don't get out ahead of the shaft and don't add loss to the club. Um, and, and, and you got to hit that shot under control I and mean, you got to take the speed down a little bit because obviously anytime you increase speed, you increase spin. If you increase spin, the ball rises. So, you know, you got to, you got to make a very tempoed motion. If you do that too. And, and guys get in there and get nervous and they jump at it. Next thing you know, the, the ball is on the second story. It's hitting a, a, a tree limb somewhere. So there's a lot of little nuances to hitting those shots. Those are some of them. Um, but those are the kind of things, you know, as you know, I was blessed in the 90s. to work with a guy named Dallas So so nobody was more creative than Seve. Um, and, and if you go to you go to the famous teaching special in the sky called YouTube, there's a lot of Seve video in there Getting trouble shots. And for the guy out there who wants to learn how to hit those things and has a good visual understanding of golf, it would be a bad idea to go watch some study videos of hitting, him hitting some of those golf shots.
2: Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners now how they can stay up to date with you after you're on your way headed back south. How can they find you and then follow you on
1: social media
2: and on your website?
1: Nice, Chris. You know, obviously, TomPatrick.com is my home, uh, my website. And then, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have an, actually have an Instagram live day after tomorrow at eight o'clock with a, with a really interesting guy, Timmy Chisano. Check that out, if you will. And then obviously, uh, then my my newsletter comes out four times a year, and you can sign up for my newsletter at my website. Um, but the thing I'm most active on right now is Instagram, uh, and then the YouTube channel, like you said, has really grown exponentially. Uh, you've got some great content, and then I, I I don't think you mentioned this, Chris, but I was just Asked by Titles to join seventeen other professionals on their website, on their instructional page. I only picked eighteen guys nationally. Uh, eighteen, I should say, professionals. There's a female that's on there as well um, on their website on their instructional page. And I just filmed um, fifteen more videos for them for their site, which will go. My page is actually live already, but the additional videos will go on sometime in mid-November on Titles.com.
2: Outstanding stuff as always, TP. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. In between now and then, my friend, go Red Sox.
1: Chris, with the exception of that last comment, I love you very much. <laughs> and, and, and I hope you have to eat every one of those words every single day for the rest of the winter. God bless I you. I know anyway.
2: that you do. That's why I love you. Bye-bye. bye my friend. See ya. That's the great Tom Patrick, folks. At TomPatrick.com, P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of the last name. So TomPatrick.com is his website, and that YouTube channel is absolutely outstanding. It's getting close to 200 video tips that you can go out there, and when you subscribe, you get it for free. So I can't see why you did not but Tom has got a lot of great uh, videos from the mental side of the game and then takes you all the way from T to green and help you cut some strokes and hit straighter shots and score better. So, Check that out and subscribe to it. Looking forward to having Tom back as part of the show here in a couple of weeks. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Jane Blaylock, I want to remind you about a few more of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. Are you, like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Square's golf shoes. The patented Square Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground. Effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of nine yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S Q A I R Z.com and get squares 30 day money back guarantee. Use promo code distance for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. And folks, this segment of the show was sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore.
0: This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
2: Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is LPGA Hall of Famer Jane Blaylock. Let me remind you about Jane's background. She's from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. She played her college golf at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, just outside of Orlando, where she graduated with her degree in history. She was inducted into their Hall of Fame back in 1977. She won the New Hampshire Amateur Championship three times from 1965 to 1968. She won the Florida Intercollegiate Championship in 1966 and was the New England Amateur Champion in 1968. She turned pro in 1969 and was named the LPGA Rookie of the Year that year. She got her first win on tour here in Atlanta at the 1970 Lady Carling event. She was named the Most Improved Golfer on tour in 1970 and 71. Jane won the inaugural Dinosaur Colgate Winners Circle Tournament, which was the richest prize ever on the LPGA Tour at the time. She would go on to win the Colgate Triple Crown in 1975 and 77. She teamed with Raymond Floyd to win the Mixed Championship in 1978. She holds the professional golf record for most consecutive cuts made at 299. In 1983, she became only the seventh player in LPGA Tour history to earn a million dollars in career earnings. She was named the 1985 Comeback Player of the Year, coming back from a herniated disc in her back. And all, Jane won 27 times on the LPGA Tour and four times on the Japanese Tour. She was inducted into the Legends Hall of Fame in 2014 and the New Hampshire Golf Hall of Fame in 2018, and I'm very honored she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jane, thanks for coming back on the show.
4: Hey, Chris, it's always a pleasure to be with you. I love the show. Thank you very much.
1: Jane, I, I I want to start
2: off by getting your thoughts. Here we are in Ryder Cup. We're just a little north of the Solheim Cup, which is just a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to start by getting your thoughts on on what you saw at the Solheim Cup. I mean, those matches are absolutely spectacular, and they've really been great for growing the game of golf. I'm a little concerned that we keep losing to the European team on both the men's and women's side, where we've lost four of the last six on both sides. What are your thoughts about what you saw?
3: Well, uh, first of all, it was great for women's golf. Uh, it's great for the international component of women's golf, but I. You know, I tend to be candid, and I do have my thoughts and uh you know watching it. I was not there in person uh, I talked to um just had an event recently where I spent time with Laura Davies and Nancy Lopez and Julie Inkster, and Pat Hurst and those that were there. but my impression was that the uh u s team spent more time uh kind of uh engaging the crowd than they did and focusing on their own game. It was a little bit um. Pubbling to me as I'm watching and obviously rooting for the US team. Uh and it's as if they expended their energy on the uh on the rallying cry as opposed to just uh, you know, making those putts and uh and having that game face on. So uh and I think the camaraderie of the European team was very evident, uh and less so on the American side. So I think that something that the next captain um, is going to have to, uh, have to deal with. So that's my, uh, my honest, um, you know, answer.
2: So Jane, one of the things that, um, I've heard some other folks talk about, and, and you mentioned the camaraderie, is that something that we lack? Because for the most part, outside of this one week every other year for the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup, our players are individuals. They're sort of sole proprietorship. But for that one week out of the year, they got to come back and now they got to try to be a team. They got to get together and it's got to be all about, about, about team one, which is something that they're not used to. Is that, is, is that an issue? Do we need to become more comfortable in team play that the European team is, is much better at? Or how do we get that camaraderie that we seem to be lacking?
3: You know, I'm, uh, I believe me, I would be the next captain if I had an answer for that. But I, <laughs> I think that, uh, it's, uh, you know, even the European players, I mean, the, uh, latest European tour is thriving now and they have their own individual, uh, you know, challenges and, uh, and goals. And, um, so I don't think that is the answer. I think somehow they just seem to handle it better and, uh, playing the underdog role. You know, they weren't expected to win. You've got the credentials of the U.S. team and everything looks great on paper. But you had, you know, so many great stories, um, uh, on, on the European team. Um, uh, you know, Matilda Castron, who had to, had to win a tournament to get into it. Emily Pedersen, who failed in her last Solheim. And so you had those stories that, uh, you know, failure is the greatest uh, recipe for success in many cases. And, uh, I think that maybe the American team, uh, was a, a bit overconfident and just didn't seem to have that passion.
2: So to to that end, right, you you talked about how on paper they would be the underdogs, we would be the favorites. But again, we've lost four of the last six on both sides. Isn't it time that we need to start to look at ourselves as the underdog? Like we You know, being great on paper and all that sort of stuff is nice, but the results say we're not as good as they are, so we need to start playing up that underdog role.
3: Oh, yeah, they have to get better uniforms to start. And they just have to be, you know, have to care more as a team. And I, I said, I wish I knew how you could, uh, create that. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, they have even Julie Inkster, who was just, you know, she won her two Solheim Cups and last the third because of Suzanne Pedersen's great putt on the last hole. But the coach and the leader can only take the team so far. They really have to band together and, uh, and, 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 to try to, you know, to, um, you know, become friends and really just get, get the fire in their belly. And I wish, um, wish I knew how to make them do that, but, um, it's something they're going to have to fix.
2: It's one of the great failings of whether it's the LPGA tour or whoever, whoever you might want to throw out there as the, the, the group that didn't get this thing together. But that we didn't get an opportunity to see you and your peers play in a Solheim light cup, um, you know, back when you guys were out on tour.
3: Well, I have to say, I, I have, uh, very few regrets of my life in golf because, uh, I got as much out of my game as I could possibly have. But, uh, because of my tenure, um, I retired just before the Solheim cup existed. And I really do miss that because that is the ultimate competition. But with that said, we had at that time uh European golf was not a big deal. It was more um the Japanese golf. You had Ayako Komodo, you had Chako Haguchi, you had so many other great players from Japan. So we had uh it was kind of a, a comparative event. It was called the uh we had a Pioneer Cup and the Nichi Ray Cup. Always played over in Japan, but it was U.S. versus Japan, and I will never. Uh, it's the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life, and it was it was such fun. So just to have had some taste of international competition, even though it wasn't uh, the level of the Solheim Cup.
1: And
2: Jane, speaking of your time over in Japan. You won the world ladies championship over there in 75 and you, you backed it up by doing it again the next year in 76. Talk about your experience playing over there.
3: Oh, I mean, Japan is one of my favorite places to play in the world. It's something that, uh, you know, their appreciation of the game of golf and, um, I just, um, and the golf courses are very, very difficult. And I was, uh, one of my strengths was certainly uh long irons and uh I I could put putt and chip but I could hit long irons very well and so the courses were so long and I grew up in New Hampshire so I could play, you know, any type of uphill, side hill lies, mountain goat courses, which many of them were, so I had a, a slight advantage. And I say I just love the culture. I, I love being there. Um I've always been an advocate of when in Rome," And so uh whatever um the Japanese would be eating, I would eat the same thing. I mean, I could tell you many stories. I, after winning my first World Ladies, um, I became friends with the uh, so many of the Japanese players. And uh, they always said at the reception, you know, it, it, the, the galas they had, I mean, the ceremonies were fabulous. They'd say, try this, try that. And I remember it was a raw abalone. And I ate that before having to give my speech. And I think it was still in the corner of my mouth when I had to speak because I couldn't digest it so uh, it was always uh you know I kind of welcomed the change in culture where many American players like you know where's the next McDonald's or I don't like this food um I looked at it as wow this is exciting this is an adventure and uh you know what a, what a fabulous opportunity to get to um become acquainted with a new culture so. I think part of the fact that I embraced it was, um, one of the reasons for my success.
2: Jane, around that same time, mid seventies, I read that you were lobbying for a women's masters tournament. Talk about <laughs> that.
3: <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Well, that's another, that's another story. Um, we had, um, and I don't know if many folks know this, but, um, we, we always considered the, um, you know, the dinosaur, first the Colgate, then the craft of Bisco, then the craft, uh, as our masters. But we had a tournament at, at, Moss Creek on Hilton Head. And, um, it was, um, it was kind of, they wanted to be our masters. And, uh, it was, I'm trying to think who was the, Actually, the company was now sponsoring it. Um, was it Northwestern? But anyway, um, Augusta, and they called it the Women's Masters. And Augusta actually sued the tournament, saying you can't have a Women's Masters. And I remember um, going to court, um, and uh, unfortunately, in Augusta, and Arnold Palmer uh, and uh, Mr. Roberts were testifying on behalf of Augusta, and there I was testifying on behalf of the LPGA. Well, the odds were somewhat stacked, would you say? <laughs> And uh, so the LPGA was denied the right to use the name Masters. Um, That certainly wouldn't happen today in our era of equality. But um, we uh, we absolutely lost that case, and uh, we're not allowed to call it the Masters. But um, we, in our minds, it was.
1: So, do you think we're close
2: to potentially having a Masters event on the LPGA tour? It seems like we're edging a little bit closer. With with the Augusta National Women's Amateur event that they have, boy, sure would be great to see um, our uh, LPGA players. And and really, I'm I'm obviously obviously very biased, but sure would love to see a Legends event out there.
3: Yeah, I mean, it would be. uh, Don't I am definitely a glass top full person. You don't do what I did for years playing the game and then running a business, uh, always trying to. you know, to attract sponsors for both our Legends Tour and our women's PGA clinics. But um I think the fact they have the women the women's uh amateur is they that's that's all that's going to happen. I really don't uh foresee an additional a professional event. Um and certainly in in the next you know ten, fifteen years down the road it would be wonderful but I think that uh, they checked the boxes, and that was kind of an unexpected thing, and I think it made everyone really feel good, but um, it's not on par with what they do for the men, so it's it's a wonderful tournament for the amateurs, but it would have been great to have um, an event similar to what the men have for the greatest women golfers in the world.
1: Jane, I want to
2: go back to your time when you were out on tour, and and I think A lot of us think about tour life and playing out on the LPGA Tour or on the men's PGA Tour as a pretty glamorous life. What was it like (laughs) for you off the course in the 70s and 80s? Because you were a pretty big star on the LPGA Tour, as big as it got back in the late 70s. But what was life like for you off the course trying to be a part of the LPGA Tour?
3: Well, um, we we probably had a lot more fun than they have today because um it wasn't um we did we caravaned a lot um we would drive from site to site we didn't have you know marquee jets net jets um um century you know uh w- w- whatever all those uh you know shared jet companies are and certainly the prize money wouldn't enable us to to afford that and the endorsements weren't there as well but um we uh driving from site to site, you could have seven or eight players. We'd stop over on the way to the next site and uh we'd have fun. We'd play Jeopardy, we would played Trivial Pursuit. I mean the, the friendships and the camaraderie were just were absolutely fantastic. And um, you know, we didn't have our um our iPhones, we didn't have our GPS, we had to actually look at a real map. And even then, you know, we would have, uh, coolers in the back of our car when you were allowed to. That was the, you know, before, uh, uh, certainly the, uh, driving, drinking was an issue. I mean, we really had a lot of fun. We had softball games. We had volleyball games. Um, as I said, my only regret was not playing the Solheim Cup, but we had so much fun and those memories of all the great things that we did. Uh, we would go to concerts. We'd go to, I mean, I went to so many baseball stadiums and we'd all share that. Um, there's not much we missed and it didn't, certainly didn't, uh, impact our game in, in a negative way because I think it actually enhanced it because we had more of a real life. So, uh, it was, um, I wasn't an early pioneer. I was not certainly one of the founders and boy, did they, you know, they certainly did their job uh and paved the way, but I was in that next generation that um I think we had a lot to do with where they are today. Um, you know, thank goodness for um David Foster and Colgate Nabisco, you know, Colgate and then Nabisco because they truly put women's golf on the map.
2: Jane Leroy Neiman did a painting of you <laughs> playing golf. What was it like being immortalized by a great painter like Leroy?
3: Well that I mean that was you know, I think of the uh I've been very lucky in my life, but that's one of the coolest things that ever ever happened to me. Um, I actually, I had bought a few Lee Neiman paintings in my travels. I said, I'd like to do, I had a lot of other interests besides playing the game of golf, which is, I think, why I played well and was successful. Um, but I actually met him. I was at a dinner in New York, and I was seated at his table. And I remember he did a sketch of me and handed it to me. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, uh, I've painted a lot of uh, athletes and some, uh, athletes, um, some are paintable and some aren't. I'd really like to do a painting of you. And I have his original, you know, hanging in my, uh, my condominium in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I look at it every single day and it's something of which I am so proud to have him want to do a painting of me. And I think, um, I know, I think he did a painting of Nancy Lopez. But I don't know what else he's done for women in golf. So that was one of the major compliments that he wanted to do it. And in
2: 1990, you were appointed to the President's Council for Sports and Physical Fitness by President Bush. That had to be yet another tremendous honor.
3: Well, you've done some homework. (laughs) (laughs) You've gone into the trenches. Um, I have. Yes, it was, was, because at that time, Uh, it was, the president's council was a big deal. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the chairman. And, uh, it was, there was a major emphasis on, on that whole campaign. And, uh, I mean, the most fun part was of that whole thing was going to meetings with Arnold. Uh, we went to his home, uh, in, um, well, outside of LA, we went to his restaurant, uh, in, um, in Malibu, I believe it was. And he was very, very involved. In fact, I remember I had a couple of meetings with him. Uh, we met with that time, uh, uh, Bill Wells was governor of Massachusetts and, uh, Arnold and I met with him personally. So, I mean, Arnold was very, very invested. I mean, I don't think Arnold did anything that he didn't do to, you know, 110%. So getting to know him and being involved with him, being part of that campaign. Um, and I mean, the whole, um, the the entire group of, um, the the appointees, I think Chris Everett was on the group, um, was in the group, definitely. And, um, you know, so many other interesting people. It was a fascinating time and, um, it was quite an honor. And I have this plaque that says the Honorable Jane Blaylock. So I guess that's pretty good.
1: Yes, it is.
2: Jane, just a couple more before I let you go. And, um. You were instrumental in getting the LPGA Legends Tour started. Earlier this summer, we had the U.S. Senior Women's Open that uh, had the comeback of Annika Sorenstam and and, uh, a tremendous performance that she put on there at the French Lick. And then just recently, we had the uh, BGA's charity championship, and uh, you were a part of that wonderful tournament. Talk about the Legends Tour and uh, what may be next for you guys.
3: Well, I mean, that the Anaco that was fabulous. I mean, the U.S. Women's Senior Open was great. That's something we have aspired to for 15 years. And I just wish they had, they had done it 10 years earlier because you would have had Pat Bradley, Patty Sheehan, Beth Daniel, Meg Mallon, all the great names and winners of the U.S. Open. So they waited a little too long, but at least, hey, it finally got done. But our BJ's team championship was so much fun. Uh, it was won by, uh, Laura Diaz and Jan Stevenson. And the, uh, it was a great team. And uh, my partner was Patricia Manu-Labouk, who actually won the, um, actually she beat Annika in the early 2000s in the Craft um, Nabisco. And I have to say we tied Annika in that event. But it came, it was drama because uh, Laura uh, Davies and Chris Johnson um, hit the par five in two. Chris only hit it about 210 yards in the air and stopped it and um on on a very hard green, and they just missed an Eagle putt to tie Jan and Laura, but it was a fabulous event, I mean we had Julie Inkster, we had nancy Lopez um uh, you know you you name it we had uh you know all the top players it was it was so much fun, and it's something that b j s intends to continue, and we hope as uh far as the legends sports concerned to have more of those events because. I mean, we have so many of the great names that uh, all of our fans out there recognize, so we certainly hope to do uh, more events like that.
1: Jane, how can our listeners stay
2: up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media?
3: Well, there, there are a few ways. It's, um, my company is jbcgolf.com. Pride ourselves. We run the uh, you know KPMG Women's PGA Golf Clinics. So that um, KPMG, women's PGA golf clinics.com has our entire schedule of um, clinics around the country. In fact, I was in Chicago yesterday. I just flew back today just in time to talk to you. And um, we had, uh, we had 90 women. It was a great day at Westmoreland country club. We're in Dallas next Monday. We have these women's PGA clinics all over the country. Um, so it's jbcgolf.com or, you know, uh, com.
2: Well, Jane, I can't thank you enough for coming back and then being a part of the show again tonight. You're always so much fun to talk to. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you again soon.
3: Well, thanks, Chris. And, you know, I'm always a bit candid, so... And ne- <laughs> never don't. <adult. laughs>
2: Indeed. I wouldn't want it any other way. You're fantastic.
3: So... Thanks so much for having me.
2: Take care, Jane. All the best to you and your family.
3: Okay. Thank you.
2: That's the great Jane Blaylock, folks. And it doesn't get better than that. She is always so much fun to talk to. She makes me smile. She tells you like it is. And then that's exactly what you're hoped for, right? You want to talk to a legend and hear her share her stories and tell you the way it was and the way it should be and the way it is. And that's who Jane Blaylock is. That's why I enjoy her so much. We had her on the show a couple of months ago. Couldn't wait to get her back on. And she she was fantastic again tonight. Hopefully, we get the privilege of catching up with her again real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Nancy Corsolino, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you, like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of nine yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right, it's proven in science. Go to Squares.com. That's dot zcom and get Squares' 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code Distance for $20 off. Remember. Distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves have you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature. Patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also help prevent calluses and blisters. While the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women. And they've improved on those clubs every year since. I was fit for a set of Zexio 10 irons by a great fitter on their staff. He got me dialed in, and they feel and perform fantastically. They are light. I've picked up nearly 5 miles per hour in swing speed, and they're deadly accurate. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factor. And the best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before, changing your game. Zexio Clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. NB Park is a Zexio Ambassador, as are Ernie Els and Top Instructor Martin Hall. See why and how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com, that's XXIO USA.com and pick which set is right for you. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is one of the most decorated instructors in our game, and that's Nancy Corsolino. Nancy played her college golf at Western Kentucky University, where she became a member of the school's very first women's golf team. After she graduated, she moved on to Florida State University, where she earned her Master of Science degree, and a few years ago, she was inducted into the Florida State Hall of Distinguished Alumni. In 1986, she was elected as the first female Class A PGA professional in the state of Tennessee. And last year, she was the recipient of the Tennessee PGA Distinguished Career Award. In 2019, she was awarded the LPGA L. Griffin Rolex Award for her contributions to teaching the game. She's a three-time Tennessee PGA Teacher of the Year. She's annually one of Golf Magazine's Top 100 Teachers. She was the 2000 LPGA National Teacher of the Year And she's a member of the LPGA Teaching and Club Professional Hall of Fame. And I'm extremely honored she is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Nancy, thanks for coming back on the show.
4: Chris, it's great to be with you. Thank you very much.
2: Nancy, I want to start off our time, and we've sort of had a theme for tonight's show. Obviously, it's Ryder Cup week, and we're just a little bit north of this year's Solheim Cup. I think we've walked away from the last couple of Solheim Cups feeling really great about the women's game and the attention it's brought and growing the women's game, but on the on the opposite side as a as a u s fan, we've walked away now with losing four of the last six matches, same on the men's side so your thoughts on what you saw at the Solheim cup and and how can we kind of reverse this trend
4: Wow, wow, what a great, great question it is uh it it's a it's not hard to reverse. It's just, it just comes once every two years and, and you've got to get up for it. And, and I think that the team events USA has, has never really, really been good at. And I think that, uh, the European players, they play in more team events. They play together more. They, they travel together more. And, and United States, the, the USA, they, they're, separate until they get together for this event and uh you know basically you know we just have the coach has to just get in there and really bring those girls and guys together uh and and to do it well and we've just we just got out coached at the solheim cup we really really did and uh uh, beanie just did a great job uh with her young team and and we had a young team in uh you know we we brought it back we started coming back It we just dug ourselves too deep in a hole quickly with uh with the foursomes and the and, and the four balls and we just dug ourselves too uh too deep in the first two days and we have to uh we have to t- play together better uh as a team uh just like in the Ryder Cup i mean oh my gosh all we're talking about is brooks kepka and 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 Bryson and and whether they're going to play together or not, you know, this is USA against Europe. And the one thing about it is Europe is going to uh, eat our lunch. If that comes down to that. So we just have to be better together.
2: So is is that, if you had an opportunity to go speak to the U S Ryder cup team based on what you saw at the Solheim cup and what our history has been, is that, is that really the theme of this? Is it, you know, hey, we got to be a collective we and not an I kind of thing? Or what would you tell them?
4: You know, I think so. I think that, uh, you know, this is this is about uh, not wearing the clothes that you always wear because your sponsors are this. This is USA, okay? and And we have to come together and we have to play together and we have to play well together and we have to do this. And no matter who you're paired with, No matter matter who you're going to be with, yeah, you may you may want to play with your best friends and things like that. But when it comes to it, it, just like in uh, in terms of a business that I run, I've got to make sure that I have somebody that is talented in the way that I'm not talented. If I am strong driving the ball and I'm not strong in putting, I need to have that person that's going to help me with that team. And you've got to put those two. And you've got to match them together well. So you have to know who on your team is good. And no matter what the, uh, no matter who it is, it's like Butch Harmon going, I'll put them together. I'd put them together. You know what? It's USA. You know, we've got to, you have to, you're a team. The best I heard, Chris, was, uh, the NFL talking about offense and defense. You know, they're on the same team. But the offense never sees the defense. The defense never sees the offense out on the team. You still have to play for a collective win, okay? But you're in two different places at the same time. You don't eat together. You don't sleep together, you know. But in this part of it, you have to eat together. You have to sleep together. You have to be together. You have to win because that's what you want to do.
2: Nancy, so much in, in golf, at least when we're we're playing, whether we're playing on our own or playing in a tournament, what have you, it's, it's about being calm and, and keeping our breathing together and not getting emotional in the head of ourselves and really trying to keep everything sort of calm and controlled. But during the Solheim Cup and during the Ryder Cup, I mean, the fans are going crazy. Saw the the, the U.S. women trying to really get the crowd involved and all of that sort of thing. So opposite. Of what it's typically like, right? It's, you know, hush y'all kind of thing. Everyone keep quiet in this, in the crowd. And then we try to control ourselves and our emotions as well. Exact opposite in these sort of events. Is that something that we, from an emotional standpoint, may not be used to? And that now we're sort of out of our comfort zone. How do you, how in a big event like this, do you control the emotion so it doesn't get out of control? And then the next thing you know, you're hitting the ball all over the place.
4: Well, oh, yeah. I mean, that is, that is such a great one. I mean, we had, we had the crowd. The European uh, crowd did not travel over here. They didn't come. We had the crowd advantage. We had the, the 11th player on the team. You know, we had that. We just, all, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we just, we just couldn't keep up that momentum with that. And so I, and, and the European players, They only had themselves. Okay. And so because of that, they were able to emotionally connect together because they didn't have many people out in the crowd with them like they do in Europe or like we're not going to have the next time we go to Spain or wherever it's, it's going to, you know, it's the same thing's going to happen. So, uh, but I believe, uh, you have to get the crowds involved. You have to, uh, be up for it. You have to, uh, practice in that environment, you know, with getting your, uh, blood pressure up, your, your heart rate up and, and you have to practice in that because you're going to be nervous, more nervous there than you are if you're playing for yourself, by yourself. It's just you. But all of a sudden, it's about the team. All of a sudden, you don't want to lose a point. And be the person that loses a point for the team. Now, I don't mind finishing second in a tournament, but I don't want to lose a point for my team. And I think that's that's the biggest thing. And we have to take advantage of home court. We have to take advantage of that. And that is very, very difficult to do when... Um, uh, when we're just not used to that. But you know what? We've been playing these for a long time. You'd think we'd get used to this. You'd think we'd get used to playing uh, the matches and the match play and the things like that. But the last time I can remember playing match play events myself was back in college when I played, you know, uh, state events and I played match play. You just don't play that much match play at all. And then when you have to do it, it's a whole different world and you have to learn how to do it.
2: Nancy, when you're working with your students, whether it's a junior student, uh, you know, just learning the game or someone at the high school, college level, do you want them to play with emotion? Do you want to see them fist pumping and and things of that nature when they've made a big putt or hit a great shot and that sort of thing? Or are you more of, let's say that until after the round?
4: (laughs) Well, I don't, I think that you cannot change the DNA of a person. You're not going to change Bryson, uh, Deschambeau and not be, uh, you know, going after that drive or Patrick Cantley that just gives a little itty bitty fist pump. It's who you are. The DNA of you is who you are. I was never a big fist pump type player. I just wasn't, but I did carry myself where nobody knew. How I stood, they would have thought that I was four up on anybody or was way ahead of anybody, whether I was down or not. I never carried myself to where they saw me upset, you know. So I teach, I try to teach my uh, juniors, I try to teach my players that you can be, you can be upset all the way up until the time that you have to make a decision on the next shot. Now that comes directly from Dr. Paul Schimp. He was helping me with a young junior golfer years ago. And Dr. Paul said, Nancy said, you got this. You just got to tell him, yeah, if you want to be upset, you can be upset all the way until you have to make a decision on the next shot. And I think that that's the one thing about it. Even if you're really happy with what you did, you still have to control yourself when you get up to the next decision shot.
2: So to that end, if if we've hit a bad shot, you know, we're in the fairway, it's a par five, we're trying to hit the next shot to either whether we're trying to go for the green or, or just kind of lay it up, but all of a sudden we've hit it into the woods, right? Is it okay to be upset with ourselves? Because we do a lot of negative self-talk on a golf course, kicking ourselves for what a terrible shot we just hit, and that sort of thing. So is it okay to be upset with ourselves or what have you as we're walking towards that ball in the woods and then try to refocus? Yeah. Or are we just trying to, you know what, you just, you know, the next what, what we always hear, right? The most important shot in golf is the next one.
4: That's right. So to me, I mean, it depends on the person that I've got in front of me. I may have to control them quicker with what I call box breathing, uh, you know, where you're going to uh, breathe in for four count, hold for four, breathe out for four count, hold for four to control that person that can't do it themselves. uh, I teach them that. But otherwise, yeah, you can be mad. I mean, I'm not going to have them throw clubs or do any of that, but you can be upset physically at yourself until you get to the area of the next shot and you go, okay, what do I have to do? I have to let that other one go. I have to make a decision. How do I get out of the trees?"
2: Nancy, I want to switch gears a little bit and get some playing lessons from you. And when we find ourselves out on the golf course in between clubs, let's say we're, we're between hitting, you know, something hard or taking one more club and and hitting it a little bit easier. How should we decide which one of those two things we should do?
4: Well, first of all, you, you need to practice those things. You need to know what's best for you, uh, practicing because it's different if I'm doing that on a tee and it's different when I'm doing it out on the golf course. So, uh let's go to the golf course. I just I I'm playing great. I'm playing awesome. I've birdied several holes. I'm really playing well. You know, I'm going to be my adrenaline's going to be up. I'm going to go ahead and and hit the shot. Uh take a little less club and hit the shot because I am really pumped, okay? But it, on the other hand, if I haven't been playing well, I may need to uh, I may need to take an extra club and go ahead and and do this and try to hit it a little easier, a little softer because I don't have that adrenaline pumping for myself. So, um, and you have to practice that. And, and what I do is I get people's heart rate up. Uh, maybe I have them, uh, hit, uh, some jumping jacks for, you know, like 10 or 12 jumping jacks, get their heart rate up and have them hit a shot and see which one do they do better. Do do they need to, To let up on the shop, or do they need to go ahead and go after it? But it has to be practiced so they know what they have to do. I don't teach the same thing to everybody.
1: Nancy, just a
2: couple more before I let you go, and I want to talk fundamentals in our setup, in particular the position of our feet. Should our toes on the tee, or even in the middle of the fairway, should our toes be pointed straight? Should we flare them? Should we flare one? Should we flare both? Talk about positioning of our feet and how that impacts our swing.
4: Absolutely. Well, if if I if if I've got a jumper like a, a Lexi Thompson, somebody that jumps up to their toes, okay, when they're hitting, I'm probably not going to flare those feet. They're probably going to just end up being uh just dead straight. But if I've got somebody that's a little bit more turned around their lead hip and moving around, I may end up flaring the front foot out for that to happen. Now, if you've got a person like myself who has some neck issues, maybe I don't turn like I used to, then I'm going to flare my back foot out to help me with that turn. So it depends on if they jump. If they really use the ground, then I'm probably going to keep the feet fairly square if they're more of a turner around the lead hip, I'm going to probably open up that uh, that lead foot a little bit, and if they have trouble getting turned back, open up the back foot.
2: Nancy, you have a wonderful video tip for longer driving distance out on your YouTube channel. You call it the three ups. Tell us what those three ups are.
4: Well, you know that's the that's the easiest thing for people to remember, and the number one thing is if you want to hit it a long way with your driver it, it it stats tell us that we need to you know we need to swing on the upswing okay that's going to be uh, that's you know swinging down now the PGA tour a lot of them do swing down but you know for for a lot of us we need to swing up so we need to have the tee up okay so the tee ball needs to be or the T on the the ball on the tee needs to be higher so that's the first up the second up is, I call it, it needs to be up in the stance. So you need to play it inside your lead heel. So it needs to be up in your stance. And the third up is you need to have the lead shoulder be up and the back shoulder be down. So you've got the tee up, you got the ball forward up, and you got your lead shoulder up. And all of that helps hit the ball more up with more distance.
1: And
2: Nancy, your partners with one of our partners here on the show, Zexio. Talk about how you, how long you've been working with them and uh, why you chose to partner with Zexio.
4: Well, I, you know, what I did was uh, I was with a club company for years and, and I mean, I've been a very loyal club company person. I I didn't change companies very often and and uh because of that, it was a very tough decision for to me for me to make but uh again what what I have is some uh issues with turning and my neck issues and and stiffness, and I really needed to go to a lighter a much lighter club, but I still have some swing speed, so I need to feel the club and and zexio makes these clubs uh so nice and light, but yet. The swing, uh, the swing feel is, uh, the swing weight is still like a D1 swing weight. You can still feel it. So it's not like a really light club and all of a sudden it's a C1 swing weight, which is very, very light and you can't feel the club head. I wanted something that I could feel the club head so I could still give myself speed, but light enough to launch that ball up high. And so what What I've always heard and what we teach is you you want distance, you've got to get the golf ball up in the air, and you've got to get it carry distance out there. Uh, I don't want to hit a, a shot and have it roll out 30 yards so I can hit a green. I want to hit it high enough so that the ball lands on a green and stops on a green, and these clubs do that for me, and that when I started hitting them and using them, I could start hitting the distance that I used to hit. And that was so important for me to be able to feel that club and to feel it is. So I've been with them now for uh, two years and uh, working on trying to be one of their brand ambassadors. And uh, I'm, they've got all these men on the brand ambassadors. I'm going, come on, you need a woman. So I'm, I'm speaking directly to them. <laughs> you know that I've been <laughs> talking to them, and I'm trying to get them to understand. That there's not, you know, uh, I get all the time, do you teach men? Of course I teach men. I teach golfers. Everybody thinks that because I'm a female that all I teach is juniors and women. But no, I've I've got men on the tee that hit it 320 yards. and, And obviously that club may not be right for them. But when I do club fitting, it goes into what's best for that person in front of me. And that club was ultimately the best club for me.
2: Nancy, before I let you go, let our listeners know about your golf school and how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media.
4: Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, My last name is spelled Q-U-A-R-C-E-L-I-N-O, and uh, my uh, social media is always either at Nancy Corsellino or at Q-School. I used to have Q-School as a name, and I used to do that. But Nancy Corsolino School of Golf, and my website is dot com, And I'm right in Nashville, Tennessee, downtown Nashville at the Gaylord Springs Golf Links, which is home of the Gaylord Opryland Hotels and that system, but right downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we're at a beautiful facility. Uh Please, I'd love to have people come out and see me and join me.
2: Well, Nancy, it's always fun having you as part of the show. Thank you for coming back and joining me again tonight. I hope we get the privilege of having you back on again soon.
4: Well, it was great to follow Jane Blaylock. I have taught in her clinic for years, and uh, it was great to listen to Jane and what all she's done for our game. And I really appreciate you, Chris, for having me on, and I'll look forward to being on with you again.
2: Well, I appreciate that very much. Nancy, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to next time.
4: You got it. Thank you, sir. See
2: you, Nancy. That's the great Nancy Corselino. QSOG.com is the website at School is where you can find her at, Nancy Corselino, on uh, social media. Wonderful follow. And, folks, you've got to check out her playing videos on her YouTube channel. Fantastic stuff. So I highly encourage you to go out there, take a look around, subscribe to it. And then make sure you're following her. Nancy's a wonderful instructor. Again, one of the top 100, so it doesn't get much better than Nancy. So go check her out in Nashville or give her a follow online or on her social media site. Okay, now next on the tee with me is SwingU CEO Charles Cox. Charles earned his undergraduate degree in economics at the University of North Carolina, earned his MBA at the University of Virginia, plus graduated with his law degree from there as well. He spent years in the finance world, including two plus years at ESPN as their director of international finance. He started SwingU back in 2012 as their CEO and then became their CEO in July of 2014. And folks, SwingU allows you to do so many things. Great GPS with just about every course out there. Plus you can track your scores, your stats, your handicap. You can also get wind speeds and elevation related data. The app is going to track your shots, and give you club recommendations after you've been on it for a while. You have on-demand access to tips and lessons. Your strokes gained analysis is on there as well, which we're going to talk about, and it's really fantastic having Charles as part of this show tonight. Hey, Charles, thanks for joining me.
0: Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
1: And Charles, I want to start our time with you by going back to really the beginning of the game for you. When did you first start playing golf?
0: Yeah, you know, I grew up playing more traditional sports. Uh grew up in, in Richmond, Virginia, you know, playing football, basketball, baseball. Yeah, dabbled with golf here and there, you know, with some buddies. I didn't really have any close friends that were really elite golfers at that time in the eighties and nineties, but, but played around with it here and there, maybe a round or two in the summer. Um not not serious by any means. Played a little more recreationally in college towards my senior year. Started to to catch the bug and and get what it's all about. Um, And then, you know, in the working world, you know, you play a little bit. And then went to grad school in Virginia, like you mentioned, and and started to – geez, I I was playing every day Uh, (laughs) to the the point of, you know, trying not to to fail out of school. I played, I think, 90 rounds a semester, two years in a row. so I, I got the bug in a in a obsessive compulsive way, and you know got down to a single digit, really just through trying to build some kind of muscle memory playing day after day, um, starting from zero. So did that, and then you know joined golf clubs since then in the last decade, and played a little more every year. And obviously, COVID gave a lot of us the opportunity to to work from home and, and be more efficient with our time, and maybe get in some more golf. So. Um, you know it is it is my my passion and my you know the one sport I, I focus on now and uh, it's, uh, it's a heck of a game as you know
2: you talk about your time in college you went to two rival ACC schools what was it like going from being a Tar Heel to being a Cavalier
0: yeah you know the the loyalty is with North Carolina I'm a Tar Heel um, my mom was a Tar Heel my Two younger brothers of Tar Heels. My dad went to Virginia, ironically. So we feel bad for him. We had a fun <laughs> Saturday, Saturday night when we beat them and my, my parents were in town. But, um, I, I love Virginia. It's, uh, it's a great school and, and got a heck of an education there and, uh, even interned in the athletic department for a couple of years while I was in grad school. Um, but yeah, I'm a Tar Heel first and foremost. And, uh, that was, I've got a lot of buddies growing up. In Richmond, they went to Virginia, so it's a it's a fun rivalry, and uh, they're a heck of a heck of a school and academically and athletically.
2: Charles, after college, you spent time as an attorney in corporate America, including a couple of years at ESPN. Talk about some of the projects you got to work at when you were there.
0: Yeah, so I, I worked uh, on ESPN's international business, and, and it's interesting. ESPN is obviously a large used to be a, a larger, you know, 6,000-plus employee company uh, with employees around the world. You know, I work specifically outside the U.S., so I was hired to help them focus on business development and growth with new channels, new digital media properties um, across all media in countries like India, Southeast Asia, Australia, um, you know, Latin America, Brazil, Argentina. Mexico. So we, I focus on growth, whether we would buy something, whether we do a merger and acquisition internationally, or whether we would partner with an existing media company to launch a new channel, um, or build something ourselves. And so it was a, it was a fun, interesting few years there because we, we had a much more venture capital type perspective, right? We weren't a big percentage of ESPN's revenue, only about 10% give or take, but. We got to act a lot differently. We had to go into each market, which obviously had different sports, uh, besides American sports that were popular. And you had to figure out each market's dynamics and, and what to do and whether to partner and whether to go big into cable TV or uh, focus more online. So it was, it was a fascinating job and, and got to work with some great people and do some really cool things, um, and, and learn about some sports, uh, internationally uh that that we didn't grow up playing or understanding. So uh it was it was a great few years.
2: So what made you decide from to go from working with you know large companies, large corporations throughout the, the early part of your career to what I would imagine is something more entrepreneurial at Swing you?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, being in my early mid thirties at the time and being impatient, um, you know, and, and being stuck behind some talented folks at ESPN that weren't going anywhere, Um, I got an opportunity to leave and and try some entrepreneurial things. And I always had that bug um, to go try to build something yourself. Um, So did some entrepreneurial ventures and ended up stumbling across uh, an opportunity to uh, working with a prior company to to buy the Swing U business uh, that was going through a bankruptcy. So we ended up kind of raising money from about six High net worth individuals up in Connecticut, where I was, and uh, we bought the company, and we we exited the bankruptcy process in July, 2016. So we started off with two people and, and uh, a part-time employee, and now we've got I think north of 35 folks, and you know, 30 of which are in Connecticut, and uh, another five or six that are outside Connecticut. And uh, it, it just you know, loving golf. I think mean, golf is a, a late life's passion, um, and being able to work in golf and, and do something in tech and media—this uh, was a great fit for me. And um, you know, I got lucky there, and it's—it's—I feel feel fortunate to, to work on something that I'm so personally passionate about.
2: So, Charles, so much of the talk around the game over the last several years has been how technology is changing the game. A lot of times, that talk is centered around golf ball or, or golf clubs but technology like what you guys have created at swing you is a huge step up from the days when we had 150 yard bushes or or yardages on sprinkler heads that we had to walk off talk about the technology in swing you that's helping change the game
0: sure yeah when we first uh, bought the app it was called swing by swing and it was you know primarily in every man every woman Offer GPS rangefinder app and, and folks would download it for free, and there was a premium subscription, and and so we, you know, we had a free handicap service, we had a obviously a free GPS rangefinder uh, app that you could use on any course in the world um, as long as Google Maps had photos of it, we could map it, and, and our customer service, uh, honestly, Chris, originally our, our user base. Uh, logged into our website for the first five, six, seven years of the company's existence and actually mapped the courses for us. And we would approve those changes. So it had kind of a Wikipedia-like, um, course mapping process because the user base mapped their own courses and, and mapped the T-boxes and front, middle, back on the, on the green. So it was a neat, a neat way to get, uh, you know, golfer certified mapping on the ground around the world. Um, but as we, you know, we wanted to do more, we wanted to be a one stop shop for golfers. Obviously, we wanted to provide folks with a, with a digital caddy service. Obviously, playing with a caddy on the golf course is a huge advantage for any golfer. And obviously, that's something that, you know, 90% of golfers don't get the opportunity to do. It's expensive. It's rare to have a caddy program at your club. So how do we give golfers an affordable, Uh, You know, caddy app to use on the golf course. Whether it's as simple as you know tracking your score in a couple of simple stats, uh, to like you mentioned before, uh, distances to hazards and greens, uh, plays like distance, wind speed, elevation, um, things that you know theoretically a caddy would tell you if he or she were with you on the golf course. Uh, Club recommendations, you can track shots, Uh, and then so we we felt. As we redesigned the app and focused on the visual caddy features, we also thought, "Oh, what would you know?" There's more to that. Obviously, there's a game improvement side off the course, and so we started partnering with top 100 coaches around the world, and they contributed content. Started with you know a good friend and first client, Gary Gilchrist, um, kind of authored our first several hundred videos in our drills library. But we wanted to give golfers in any time, anywhere. Uh, you know, categorized library of drills and videos that they could pull up, you know, theoretically you could pull it up on the course and watch a tip or drill before you hit a shot. Um, it's that quick where obviously you can watch video in, in the evenings after the round or anytime, anywhere. Um, so we added that feature next. And then third, we wanted to invest more in, in the statistics piece and the on course, on course performance piece. And we believe that, you know, playing lesson with a teacher. It's probably the most valuable lesson you can get as a golfer, in my opinion, at least as an amateur golfer. Obviously they're time consuming. They're expensive. They're, they're fairly rare. You've got to book at least a two hour block with a teacher for a nine hole playing lesson or or maybe longer for 18, obviously. And so what would be a proxy for that? The idea is that, you know, I I started to read up on strokes gain data and, and reading. Uh, publications by, you know, experts like Peter Sanders, who was one of the original stroke gain experts in the world, or Mark Brody, obviously that people know with his affiliation with Shot Link and PGA Tour and you know, other folks, um, Scott Fawcett, a decade, and, and, um, felt like, hey, you know, we wanted to get into this space and, and I tried pretty much every stroke gain platform out there, but found them a little bit tedious and time consuming for the average, uh, Amateur golfer that might have a spouse and in a family and not you know do this for a living. So we we wanted to build something that was easy to use. So I think I think we built the easiest to use Strokes Game platform in the world. We partnered with Peter Sanders, who's one of the original stroke Game experts in the country, and um, started a company called Shot by Shot. So he helped us build our platform, and uh, really excited about that. We've we've signed uh, over fifty uh, tour pros. That are using it on the mini tours uh, to track their practice rounds and tournament stats. And we've also got over 15 top collegiate players uh, that we've signed to uh, use the app during the season. We just had one win a tournament last week uh, from Arizona State. So, you know, we're trying to, uh, you know, our goal is to be not only the every man, every woman golfer app, but also be, uh, you know, a very valuable to- tool for the elite golfer, too. Um, and so that's, that's been the last, the last, uh, the effort over the last 12 months has been to, to evolve the company into an elite golfer app as well.
1: So Charles,
2: talk about that stroke gain statistics, because that's very interesting to me. Who are we gaining yeah. strokes on in that analysis?
0: Yeah, so, you know, typically, right, you see stroke gain statistics being used on the PGA Tour. Um, they have that, the shot system. With hundreds of, uh, you know, volunteers that, and not to mention lasers and cameras that track every shot from every lie, uh, you know, what the distance of the shot was, uh, what the lie of the shot was and the outcome of the shot. Um So the tour does that. And obviously they share that data publicly and they share it on telecast, on CBS and golf channel and NBC. Um, and it's, it, you know, obviously that's captured in a, in a finite ecosystem, right? You have a four day tournament with a set number of players that are playing the same course with the same conditions from the same tee boxes. So, they, you know, you're, you're, you're able to very accurately, uh, compare and contrast, uh, you know, a PJ tour player's, uh, shots in each part of the game, driving, approach shots, short game and putting, uh, versus the, the set of competitors and who, who quote unquote gained or lost strokes relative to the field. Um, you know, who, who drove the ball further and straighter, uh, resulting in, you know, uh, easier, uh, lives and approach distances and who ball struck the best, right? Who hit the ball first on the green in regulation and obviously secondarily proximity to the hole. Did you hit the ball closer to the hole? Um, and then how do you put it, right? How do you one putted from certain distances? Obviously over eight feet, even the, the PGA tour player starts to dip below 50% probability of making that putt. And so that's a very finite system. In our system, Chris, right, obviously we're not all playing in, in one giant tournament together. So we've collected data over the years uh, from golfers of all different handicaps, from what we call the Tour Pro, which is a plus four to plus six handicap group, all the way up to a 30 handicap, you know, beginner, a very uh, very below average golfer, right? Um, and so based on your handicap, your current handicap and what you want your handicap to be. So, if you're a 10 handicap, we recommend that you choose a target handicap range that includes 10, or that it's directly below 10. So it gives you some realistic goals on what to do next. And so you get to compare your data across hundreds, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of rounds from that target handicap grouper stats across driving, you know, how many fairways they miss. Uh, that target handicap group or, group misses and um, how many fairways they miss per 18 holes, and how bad are their misses? Right? Do they result in good opportunities to hit the green and regulation? Bad opportunities, for recovery shots or punch out shots? Do they result in penalty shots? Hit the ball into a hazard, or you hit the ball out about lost. And so, um, same thing with approach shots. Right? We compare them by range of 25 yards, and you're looking at whether you hit the right green and regulation, whether you hit the ball. Close or far from the hole. Um, same with chipping and pitching. You know, are you hitting? The, are you chipping or pitching within fifty yards? Are you hitting the green at all? Right, is step one and step two. How close are you hitting uh, the ball uh, to the hole? And are you are you up and downing? Same thing with greenside bunkers and obviously putting. We look at one putts in distances. We look at three putts. Those are the two metrics of drive, strokes, game, putting. Um, so we you know we compare to target handicap groups and. and you know, tens of thousands of rounds from each group get compared to your data, and we actually give you a handicap per part of your game. So if Chris plays a round, um you know, Chris, you can use the app on the course. Uh You can pull it out of your pocket or uh, enter the stats after each hole. It takes, you know, five, six seconds per hole. Or, you know, in the club outs after the round, uh, you have to remember some, you know, some ballpark numbers. Uh, you know, distance of your first putt, you know, how far your approach shot was, quality of your drive, but uh, something you can go through the round and, and three, four minutes after the round and spits out a very clear, concise number one game improvement priority where you lost the most strokes relative to your target handicap group and where you should focus your game improvement efforts, you know, from the, from the results of that round. So it gives you a tip or a drill, uh, a video drill focused around that that uh, game improvement priority and then you you know you can dig deeper into that category as well in our drills library but it it's uh you know, it's something you can do every round chris it's something you can do once a week once a month it's kind of a check-in on on where you are um you know people obviously our tour players use it for every round uh, we have amateurs that use it for every round we have amateurs that use it once every you know every once in a while to kind of get a to statistical check in on where their game is. And, you know, sometimes you come up the golf course and based on your own personal biases or based on what you consciously or subconsciously chose to remember, you know, you may have a very uh, inaccurate recollection of what you did well or what you did poorly. Um, and so I think this gives you some real objective data and some real realistic goals around what you should be doing uh, to reach your target handicap level. So we're, we're pretty excited about it.
2: And Charles, talk about the club recommendation piece. You you mentioned that a little bit ago. But how does the app eventually help us by suggesting you need to hit a six iron here?
0: Yeah, so you can, you know, if you know your distances um, of each club, you can enter those in the beginning. Uh, when you set up your app profile, you can actually enter your, your data. We ask that you enter, I think uh, we ask for your seven iron distance. And then we kind of deduce the rest of your clubs from that, and you can go in there and adjust your distances uh, per club. So it gives it gives the app a baseline on what to suggest. Then obviously, you know, based on an algorithm that looks at elevation, it looks at wind speed and wind direction. Um, you know, recommends what club you should hit, just like a caddy next to you, um, where you're you know you're hitting a got 150 yard par three downhill but maybe the wind's in your face and, you know, the recommendations to play at, you know, 145 instead of 155. Um And so, you know, it looks at what you hit your club based on what you put in there. Or you can also track your shots, and that will, you know, collect an average per uh, per distance, Chris, and so that will override the averages. So that will override your inputs, and if you want to continue to track your shots on the course, that data will will end up um, aggregating in your club distance section of the app. And and so it will use whatever the latest and greatest data that you put in there um, to to calculate club recommendations. So it it tries to replicate the the caddy player experience when when choosing clubs and uh, what distance to hit and what club to use. Charles, with golf being one of
2: the few things that actually has grown Over the last couple of years during the pandemic, how has that impacted Swing business?
0: Yeah, you know, it feels horrible to say, but we've benefited from COVID like most. Um, you know, obviously there was a period of time, you know, March, April, May where you had, you know, over half of golf courses in the U S closed back in 2020 and folks were pretty concerned about what the future was going to be, but uh, I think the golf industry on a state by state level did a heck of a job. State golf associations did a heck of a job. Um, you know, allowing golf to reopen in, in a, you know, a CDC compliant way and folks got out there and really, you know, golf won by default, right? There wasn't a whole lot to do besides going on a run, um, which ain't, ain't too fun in my opinion. Um, and then folks could get out there and, and walk. Right. Uh, it could walk safely and people using push carts. I mean, it was the United States kind of turned into Europe, right, for about a year, um, uh, without power carts or, or at least, you know, having single power carts. And so I, I think the golf industry just did a heck of a job of taking, you know, uh, uh making, uh, you know, lemonade out of lemons there, right, and, and allowing golfers through some, some adjustments, you know, no bunker rakes and. Um, you know, the, the sponge inserts or the capped inserts on the, on the golf holes and not touching flag sticks and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, obviously folks were downloading apps. We had a lot of people that, you know, typically wouldn't download a golf app. We're downloading a golf app, right? And a lot of those folks were learning, Chris, this year, obviously being year two of the pandemic, you know, a lot of those folks. Weren't serious golfers, unfortunately, and, and weren't going to necessarily stick with the game and, and maybe might go back to whatever the routine was, uh, pre pandemic. But, you know, I think golf is going to benefit from a good slug of golfers that, you know, got back into it and are going to stick with it and got the bug again. So, um, you know, we benefited. We saw, you know, we saw almost a doubling of the business over 2020, 2021. So, you know, we, we, we benefited from it, and I'm hoping we can continue to ride that
1: momentum. Charles, before I let you go, let our listeners
2: know again how can they get the app, and then how can they follow you guys, whether it's on your website or on social media.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, our website again, the app is called SwingU, uh, Swing, and then the letter U, one word. So they can go to SwingU, S W I N G U dot com. And you'll see very easily that there'll be an Apple app store button or an Android uh, app store button. They can click on that. It takes you right to the app. It's free. You register with an email and a password and you get a free, um, you get, you get a free, uh, GPS range finder, a digital scorecard for life and a free handicap system. Um, so they can do that and they can upgrade to our premium subscription, <clears throat> which gives you a lot of those premium digital caddy features we talked about. The wind speed elevation plays like distance, strokes, game stats, video drills library, so on and so forth. So, then obviously you know, they can go on Instagram and follow us on uh, Swing at SwingU app uh, to follow us on Instagram. And, uh, or you also can sign up for, we have a daily email newsletter that goes out to half a million golfers every day. And they can sign up for that on the swingu.com website as well. So
2: well Charles I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show I hope you'll come back again and you know keep us updated on all the great things that you guys are doing and working on um, the app seems fantastic I, I I played around with it a little bit um, you guys are doing some really great things and the and the amount of uh, information that we can glean from our own games and then the recommendations and the and the teaching instruction all that together is a heck of a package kudos to you guys
0: yeah, thanks Chris. I really appreciate you uh, having me on. And anytime I'd love to come back and talk to you more.
2: Well Charles, stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to next time.
0: You too. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. See
2: you, Charles. you too. That is Charles Cox from SwingU and folks you gotta go out there and take a look at the app and their website. It to me, it's it's gotta be one of the best GPS opportunities out there. You, not only are you getting the distances but you also get the other things that Charles talked about. It's going to evaluate swing speed and elevation. It's going to keep records of all the things you're doing. You're going to eventually get club recommendations and things of that nature. And all that strokes gain stuff that's going to help you figure out where you need to be spending your time out on the practice range. It seems like the complete package. So go check that out. We look forward to hearing more from Charles and Swing You about the things that they're working on again here very soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patrick, Jane Blaylock, Nancy Corsolino, and Charles Cox for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are PGA Tour legend John Cook. Looking forward to having Cookie back as part of the show. Golf Channel host Damon Hack will also be back and fresh off of his covering of the Ryder Cup for the Golf Channel. So very much looking forward to his insights. One of the best young junior players in the country, Avery Zweig, will be making a return visit to this show. Avery may be the most decorated junior player ever. I mean, she's absolutely amazing. 14 years old, folks. She first joined me when she was 10, and she has done amazing things each and every year. I think she's played in now six USGA events, and I believe in the Women's Open, she missed qualifying for that event by one stroke, so very much looking forward to having Avery back. She joined me originally when she was 10 years old, so uh, excited to have her back as part of the show next week, and also excited to have Wayne Tulsky making his next On the Tee debut next week. Wayne has been out traveling the country and playing courses we'd all die to go play on, so very much looking forward to him sharing stories from his travels when he's a part of the show next week as well. So, it's going to be a great one. I hope you'll come back and be a part of the show with us. His travels when he's a part of the show next week. So it's going to be a great one. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites like Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, IR Radio. If you've got a favorite podcasting app or site, we're probably on it. Just click on the search bar and type in next on the T and I'm sure you'll find us on there as well. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.